And we're live. Uh, hey, everyone. Um, this is the uh, Rami C podcast. I have uh, my guest here, Alexi. Bo- it's Bordas, right? Bordas? Yeah, I go Alexei, but I let everyone Alexei. call me Alexei. Oh, really? All this time I've been calling you every, Alexei. I know. Every oh, single jiu-jitsu yeah. person calls me Alexei. Almost everyone. Uh, okay. That, that's actually like, that's like my name as well. So many people call me Rami or like whatever. Yeah, well, I think Kurt called me that for like six months before you realized Rami. that's not my name. Everyone says Rami. Yeah, Rami. Rami. Oh, like, Rami's who? another great one. And my twin yeah. brother is Remy. So oh, that's right. That's I'm right. Like, that's right. okay, I know how to say your name because it. I like. I try my best, and Remy is very close. So I'm like, I'm gonna get Rami correct. Right. I'm saying right. It right. Am I? Yeah. Rami. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. You are Rami. You are. Uh, it's Ale- Alexei. Oh fuck. Alex. Alexei. That's it. Alexei. Oh, don't ever think about like I literally yeah, 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 everyone yeah, yeah. call me Alexi. Okay. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. Oh, good. And anyhow, uh, I have Alexa here. Um, he's somebody who uh, I kind of went to back maybe about a year ago. I suffered a really bad ankle injury at the time. I had a bunch of other injuries that were happening in my body, um, and I never really knew how to address them. Everybody just kind of seemed to say, "Oh, bro, you just got to hit the weights even harder and uh, just work right through it." And and I feel like yeah. that answer. Yeah, just keep that up and you'll get bigger. My, my biceps are getting bigger, but uh, but none of the problems were going away. So um, I think I just saw some post you had made or I'd seen you working with some athletes. And I was like, well, let me just see what this is about. And so I visited him in Oakland and uh, we just went through a couple sessions. Uh, he kind of taught me basics of, uh, of cars, which maybe he can get into a little bit more, but it completely changed my life. My I'm able to run on my ankles. I'm able to like do like high jump squats and stuff. I just was not able to do before my back flexibility is there. I can see my posture got better. I don't know if that's actually what's supposed to have happened, but it did. Um, Generally speaking, if that's your goal, then that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Like your posture isn't going to get better without you trying to make it better. So that's kind of the whole issue. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that was the thing is I took the approach of just being like, I want to learn all of the concepts that you're teaching me because as time went on, I just noticed my my ankle was just feeling better and my my knees are better. It's kind of crazy. Um, We can get into that maybe in a little bit, but. uh, Alexei, do you maybe want to just uh, tell people a little, little bit about yourself, like where you are right now and kind of what brought you to exactly what your profession is right now? Sure. So um, the main thing I do for work is coach people in kettlebells and mobility and nutrition sometimes, but mostly kettlebells, well, strength training, mobility training, endurance stuff. I also teach at the uh, Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Berkeley. And yeah, so I right. teach over there twice a week and I have a mobility class over there. So that was the first mobility class I started teaching after I learned all this stuff that I'll probably get into a bunch. But um, me and two friends, Luis and Melissa, and you know Melissa well, and Luis was, yeah. he was here a moment ago, but yeah. uh, we three run a gym here in Oakland and we try to, it's one of the doggies, <laughs> we uh, yeah, try to share whatever we know with everyone because everyone wants to be stronger and feel better essentially. And a lot of people have goals that they have been plugging away at for a long time, for example. And a lot of the fitness industry in the United States is kind of backwards. And the way people are sometimes overworking, overstressing, it could all be done better, you know? So we uh, wanted to start teaching group training and uh, privates. That's mostly what we do is like one-on-one training and teach people the basics of kettlebells because we think that's the best place to start. 
but then we also teach barbells and body weight training and stuff. And we try to teach people how to balance their training with their life and get to goals and everything. So what, what do you, what do you think is kind of like the, uh, cause I noticed you said like a lot of the American like fitness, like field is kind of backwards. What exactly is it about that? Do you think is so backwards? Cause I, cause I, I feel that way, but I don't really know how to articulate it. I wonder. Well, uh, I think the general trend or the I, people in the United States, there's a few things going on. So it's of course never just like one thing, but the things that pop in my head, the idea that uh, your workout, it should, the most <clears throat> salient thing in the United States is everyone thinks that it's not a good workout unless you feel wrecked afterwards. Right, right. You're just trying to work out your body. And there's a lot of great analogies and I wish I could remember specifically how one of them goes, but essentially it doesn't really, do you expect your body to um, be able to recover from all the stresses that you put on it if you're not putting in the work to recover from it too? It's kind of like if you have a stressful life, your job is stressful, you don't sleep great, should you go in the gym and wreck your body, which is going to require you to go eat better, sleep better to recover from? Um, uh, the United States has this idea that it's like if you're – not going all out in your session then you're not doing enough work kind of right, right. and so that leads a lot towards maybe higher stress workouts than needed there's kind of misinformation about like tabata training and high intensity interval training and this leads to people not enjoying their training they dread it right so that's kind yeah, of its right. own avenue of people feeling like i gotta do this instead of i get to do this sort of thing right right like right. I have to go work out. So it's supposed to suck. Training isn't supposed to suck. Making your body feel better and work better and do better isn't supposed to suck. It's supposed to not necessarily be comfortable all the time. Sure, right. But sure. that's how you push your boundaries is like you have to essentially give yourself a little bit of stimulus and then your body responds to that. And your body is responding to your stimulus all day, every day. Anyway, whatever you're doing right now, your body is adapting to like, sitting here which is why i decided well i'm going to be on the computer i'm going to sit on the ground for a while because <laughs> actually doing the I'm same thing slouching on a couch which is really easy to do and right. so essentially the two biggest things that we have to maybe help people work through is the idea that their training is going to be like a beat down of some kind or not fun and if it's not fun or you're always dreading it then you're not going to be able to keep up with it and nothing like for us, a hobby, we were talking about him earlier. He talked about oh, yeah. consistency beats intensity. So in the United States, I guess that's the gist of what's backwards. And that's probably what he was saying, yeah. right? Like so, work for work. And fair, and yeah, fair enough. Cause I remember that podcast really well where like he was talking about the, he referenced the Russian wrestlers who, uh, who pretty much just he referenced it as playing. So they're, they're just playing they're moving around. They're not going really crazy. But like, it's crazy because even after seeing, hearing that podcast and even after actually the sessions with you, I feel like intellectually, I can understand that that's how it works. Like I, I feel like I'm seeing, especially with like, uh, with cars, like all the stuff that I'm doing with my joints and making sure that I'm getting all the range of motion done throughout the day. And I'm just doing them all day, every day. I can feel over time those muscles are building. But there's just a part of me that like is having such a hard time where uh, if I don't work out in a way that just just depletes my 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 load, so to speak, 
it's it's still a hard thing to get over where I say like, okay, I didn't really have a workout today or like I, I could do some of the, uh, even like some of the, I, I remember there were uh, some kettlebell uh, workouts that we did specifically the swings. I do those on the days where I like, I know I'm not going to do anything, but I'm still having this hard time getting over it where I think like, it still feels like I need to have just had my ass beat to, to really feel that. And, and yeah. that, that seems toxic in a lot of ways. Cause I know that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, it could be a little toxic depending on your goals. Um, that's like maybe a good word to put it or to use, but the thing is it kind of depends on your goals. Like if you're competing all the time, you need to have like a little bit of that beat down all the time to be ready. But even still, if you're beating yourself down all the time, you can't expect to compete well, right? right. Like, and honestly, if you're competing all the time and you're trying to peak all the time for those competitions, a lot of times peaking requires us to back off of training in order to express the results of our training recently, right? So right. you do kind of beat yourself up a little bit in a training camp, for example, but that should be saved for right before a competition, for example. Right. Your right. regular jiu-jitsu training, though, might already be getting pretty, like, glycolytic and hard. Like, you probably have hard rounds every week with people that feel yeah. almost competition-like, right? In, in fact, like, sometimes it feels like every day that I go train, it's this like okay. just bashing of 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 uh, people just being really competitive. Yes. And okay. How many days per week do you train jiu-jitsu? Uh, right. So I've actually decided the last like maybe two weeks to take a bit of a break, but uh, I mean it was every Generally. day. Usually uh, it's every day. Five, 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 day, five times a week. Five times okay, a week, so, so on average, five days a week, you were already beating yourself down. So yeah. you don't need to go in the gym and do that further. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like then you're really going to give yourself more of a like recovery deficit to work through. And right. unless you are a pro athlete who's got nothing else to do but train, or you have the help of special uh, vitamins special or whatever. <laughs> the bomba or whatever the sauce, uh, it's gonna be tough to balance that with the rest of your life and one of everyone's goals should be to feel pretty good all the time right generally speaking right right, like right. maybe you've had those days where you're dragging ass and everything else because you went so hard in jiu-jitsu and so hard in your strength training afterwards right right and it's not useful for your company or whatever that you are half there in a haze of like i'm so beat up and sore I can't even sit here comfortably and do my work or whatever. Right, um, right. Because my body's like radiating sometimes when I when I go in. And you're awful. A lot of people will feel like a mental haze after a really hard training. And I remember I had we we rarely make people max out in our gym, almost never. Like the tactical strength challenge is coming up, and then people are going to max out then. But that's twice a year. That's like a strong first. Uh, well, maybe I should have mentioned strong first because that's like what we kind of use as our Bible for training people because we think that Pavel does it right. And that's sure. where we've learned most of our strength training from is from Pavel here at our gym um, and Strong First in general. So that's what's on my shirt right there. Cool. And uh, all the cars and all the FRC, that's functional range conditioning stuff. So that's from Dr. Andrea Spina and Michael Chivers and some other really smart physical therapists and chiropractors. Those two are chiros. Um, but that's, I'm just like transmitting the, the stuff that I learned from other people. And so all that mobility stuff that helped you so much, I went and learned that from someone else. And then I started doing it. I'm like, holy shit, this 
changed my life, right? Yeah, so that was a quick aside about the uh, strong first thing, but I was just saying that essentially, well, that tangent was because I was mentioning, I was talking about training in general, right? And yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. People here. Yeah. But I don't want to get too much on a tangent. So specifically. Well, well I was going to ask even off of that tangent, like what, what exactly is strong first? Because I feel like that was strong first is actually, I think what I heard about first. And then I kind of saw a reference from you in some way about it online. And that's, that's actually what caused the in where I'm like, all right, let me just message him. Yeah, see what yeah. happens. So what, well, what exactly is it? It's a school of strength. So they are in the business of making good strength coaches. But uh, Pavel Tsatsulin is the guy who essentially brought kettlebells to the United States. And okay. uh, he has a bunch of books, that one that just came out recently, and uh, called The Quick and the Dead. Check it out. It's really cool. worth reading. Quick, uh, quick and the Dead? Yeah, The Quick and the Dead. Okay, so the cool. new program, uh, which is one that I've used with a bunch of grappling athletes really successfully, is called Q&D now, The Quick and the Dead. And the cool. other program from his last book was called Simple and Sinister. So people would call it SNS or Simple and Sinister for short. Because cool. it was referencing the program, like what Melissa was working on forever, they got her beastly strong. Being able to swing a big bell 100 times in five minutes and then do 10 get-ups in 10 minutes right afterwards. That's like the goal of the program. So Melissa was able to do that with 70 pounds in each hand, in one hand. Like it's a one harm swing, right? And she's 120 wow. pounds. So wow. wow. That's reference for how crazy strong she is. Holy but that's crap. all based on, you know, using strong first principles and just training regularly. And she has a big training background. But strong first, they do certifications that, to help teach and make more coaches and instructors. And they also do like one day courses for people. Like we just hosted one on Sunday on the barbell and we had 10 people in here who just want to learn how to lift properly, which means safely, effectively, something you can do for the rest of your life. And cool. the whole strong first system, it kind of overlaps a whole bunch and it's laid really nicely. And it's just a, for a coach and instructor, it can lay down a nice template for how to get people strong, safely, effectively using the kettlebell or if you do a barbell certification then you learn how to do that with the barbell you learn about programming and stuff pavel now he doesn't teach the certifications anymore um excuse me what he does now is teaches like special courses so i've gone okay, to learn cool. and we all have gone to learn with him for like a strong endurance which is an endurance uh course to yeah. teach people essentially how to um avoid relying on glycolysis so that you can be explosive for longer is the idea so, behind so what exactly is glycolysis you have three energy systems and cool. well three main energy systems there's like a fourth one but uh the main ones would be your aerobic your anaerobic or uh they call that that's like your explosive energy system the one that's like okay. short burst yeah, out quick, yeah but it is the first one to kick on and then you have glycolysis and the glycolysis is essentially sugar burning, right? So your other two, your aerobic and your anaerobic or um, essentially your explosive energy system and your low and slow, if you want to think of it that way, those two okay. run on fats. Mostly. Right. And then the third one, the glycolysis, the sugar burning runs on carbs. So when the, mm. when the, anaerobic system your explosive system creatine phosphate fuel system runs out 
of juice, then glycolysis, which is kicked on very minorly because they're all kind of always working, but it, it's, glycolysis is barely working. It will mm -hmm. kick on to start picking up the slack for making ATP because you need energy to keep fueling your muscles for whatever action you're doing, right? I see. And if you're doing a non-explosive thing or you're not doing an all-out effort, then, you know, below your anaerobic threshold, you are going to keep it all aerobic. So that's like low and slow, like walking, oh. jogging, right? People who okay. are trying to like be able to have a conversation while you're running, like pass the talk test. Yeah. That's like a, an indication that you are running at below your anaerobic threshold, which means that you're going to hmm. be not exploding. So you're not using your, and your like explosive energy system. Yeah. And you are not pushing it so hard that you got to start dipping into glycolysis, right? And got start it. burning carbs. So like the fat burning zone for a lot of people is like aimed at keeping you going low and slow for a long time, which right. can work great for losing weight, especially if you're eating well. Um, but the goal for athletes is often to be able to explode for a long time, like repeat sprint ability. Imagine like a jujitsu fight. It's a lot of stop and, and explode and then stop and yeah. you know you'll maybe go for 30 seconds and things slow down and then you go another 30 seconds or a whole minute or whatever but usually it's a crazy match where people are going non-stop right and right. the training to go non-stop if you think about it it's a little bit counterintuitive for some people but you want to practice not feeling the burn in your training if you want to expect to not feel the burn when you are competing or actually using it, right? Right, your right, body, right. If you are always training to feel the burn, your body will try to rely on glycolysis more and more because you right. spend most of your time training where glycolysis is ramped up all the way and your explosive energy system has not recovered aerobically so your aerobic system and your glycolysis are running all hot right Interesting. And, and then acid starts to build up and you start to slow down and you're like oh what slows you down when you're going hard is usually the burn right or else yeah. you just keep pumping along right yeah or maybe you get winded but then you got to work on you know but maybe just the ability to maintain that respiratory rate which is something that like is worth training on its own also which we did with like leslie smith for example is Part of what we did with her was run a six minute round where she's doing a bunch of different exercises, but none of them are going to build up. Some of them we purposely had her build up a little bit of burn, but most of them were switching from like upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body with right. like every seven seconds. So she doesn't really get too much burn in any one area. So she mm -hmm. can really get winded for the whole six minutes and practice that. Well, for her rounds, it was five minutes. Sorry, most of it was six minutes we were doing. Sure. Because she got ready the same way. But uh, the, that all ties back into the training. I said, if you train to feel the burn, you're going to teach your body to seek glycolysis and like kick that shit on sooner, right? Yeah. If you yeah. train to avoid the burn, which is what we call anti-glycolytic training, that's what the whole strong endurance is about, then you're trying to practice being explosive and cutting back before glycolysis kicks on or kicks I on see. too hard. Wh so that you're aerobic system okay. picks up the slack and recovers your anaerobic system essentially helps so, you get ready for the next explosive bout so this is reminding me a lot about um 
back when so I don't really compete that much anymore. I still maybe once or twice a year, but I remember when I took it very seriously, I I would I would I would train really hard. My body is just feeling like it's dying. I'm feeling I guess it's like I'm entering glycolysis. 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 <laughs> like yeah. Well, you're and, probably getting in there every single time you're training. Yeah, and then I would also at the end of this, I would then go uh, and do some sort of strength and conditioning circuit that I just made up with like nothing but just like, yeah, all yeah. the guns and all that. And just, Hey, cool. biceps are useful for jitsu because <laughs> like my Dewey Nielsen, really? uh, this guy is super smart, uh, coach guy from the FRC too. He makes sure all his jitsu guys are doing like bicep curls and shit. So you can close up that triangle better oh, when okay. you're like getting in there Fair and enough. it totally Fair makes enough. sense. And being able to have a good isometric squeeze the top here. So right, it right. really does okay. help with choking. At that elite yeah, level too. Yeah, I'm sure it does. But I guess the thing that I that I was getting at is um is that I would always feel that burn and that that painful feeling, and then all of a sudden I go into tournaments thinking, okay, well I'm not going to feel any of that now. But as soon as the tournament starts or as soon as a match starts, boom, I'm in that zone already, and. Uh, I feel like that's actually making a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you turn yourself into a glycolytic machine like so many other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, like, exactly. And then, then it just becomes like a mental battle or like a how, how uh, who wants it more? Who can endure the burn the hardest or like push beyond that, right? But right, a right. lot of that can be trained at least, I mean, of course, in a competition, you're still going to feel the burn. Sure, and, sure. But that... And so you're getting plenty of that in your jujitsu already. You probably didn't need to go feel the burn right afterwards in your strength training. You would then go to your strength training and make sure that in your strength training, you're not feeling the burn. And if right. there were days where you could do jujitsu in a way where you don't feel the burn, that would benefit your training overall. <laughs> right. But in peaking time, you got to feel that because it's going to, I mean, if you really want to go hard, you have to prepare your body, but Let's say that you're thinking about a regular athlete. It takes, I think I have it written in my notes, like six sessions to kind of cap out your gains from glycolysis or glycolytic training because, you know, you have enzymes and, and things that your body produces and kicks on, like uh, your buffering capacity goes up, your ability to endure the burn improves by enduring mm -hmm. the burn, right? So if you sure. know that you're going to have to burn in that, like a hard... 10 minute round for a black belt or a brown belt, right? Um, right. I think the brown belt is eight minutes, right? It's, eight, it's eight minutes, yeah. yeah so for yeah. us, eight minutes if we're doing the adult. <laughs> if I do yeah, you got your brown belt in between. I think I haven't talked to you since, but congrats. I think it was, Thanks, that man. happened in the, in the <laughs> between us actually it. meeting. Yeah. Still trying to figure this thing out. But, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, some time. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, what, what I was saying was that if you're essentially like let's think about getting ready for a competition yeah. if you are uh six weeks out it yeah. might be a good idea to start doing some extra training where you're going to uh, like once a week really make it suck burn wise or whatever and get your body more accustomed to that because it's going to improve your ability to withstand that and in an eight minute round you're probably going to start to burn by the end of the round, especially if you got to do a few of them in a row, right? Right, so, right. Gold. So yeah. it's going to be unavoidable in competition, which means you should train that. And if your training somewhere in your camp is not giving you 
like the heart rate that you're going to experience. If everything is all rolling with white belts where you're barely breaking a sweat, you're not going to, you probably get a lot of benefits technique wise and you could probably make a strategy that way. But like, right. there's Melissa. Um, hey, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it. him in the headphones, but he'll be interviewing you eventually anyway. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> at one point. But um, so you have to get your body ready for like the heart rate and the ventilation rate, being able to breathe enough, like really hard and fast. If you're like maybe a different sport would be a better example. Like sure. if you're trying to, uh, well, let's stick with this example though, just because we're almost there. So. <laughs> you train all year that way, trying to really endure hard burns all the time. It's tough on the body. It's hard to recover from, right? Yeah. But if you are saving it for the window before competition, that would be more efficient. Everything kind of works, at least for some people, like Dan John, I think, would say that everything works for six weeks and then you got to change it up, right? That makes and sense that's from Dan John and it's pretty smart. But like, if you have done one hard session, like glycolysis, like maybe you're, you're trying to do like Tabatas or some shit, like interval training or something that people like in jujitsu do often on the side, like I'm gonna do burpees or whatever. Right. Uh, if you want to push yourself or maybe you're just gonna do crazy rounds in jujitsu like we do sometimes, like you've had the death sessions maybe like, Oh, house in town. Now we're doing burpees between every single row. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you're going to start off getting choked in every round or whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, um, maybe don't quote me on that piece right <laughs> before he puts the smackdown on me. But um, Eduardo's I'll pass the same message way. along. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eduardo likes to do those death sessions in the camps or whatever, especially. Mm -hmm. And like, you cap out your benefits from doing that after about six sessions. So if you did one of those per week for six weeks, like that's all you'd really need to be able to handle the acid better, technically speaking. Got Maybe it. mentally you need more hard sessions that you feel like, oh, I trained my ass off, right? But yeah. then you have to make sure you recover equally to match that. And so a lot that's of people, fair. that's where it ties into the, like the United States is a little backwards. Everyone just thinks I can run my body to the ground every single day because my five hours of sleep should be enough to cover that. And it's like, right, right. no, it's really not. And then your stressful work and your stressful home life on top of that, you know, having kids or whatever it might be, it's sure. brutal. Sure. Um, so yeah, most of the years should be spent trying to feel good. Like all your mm -hmm. training outside of jujitsu, if jujitsu is your main focus, everything outside should be kind of at an easier what? rate, easy strength, that kind of stuff, so that you feel better for jiu-jitsu and you don't drag ass outside the gym, right? Would you say that, uh, like, because I always, uh, this is another thing I struggle with, and I've been thinking about it a lot, is I'm training jiu-jitsu, let's just say, every day, and um, even if I do kind of have, like, easier sessions or I'm specifically seeking out white belts or blue belts or purple belts, purple belts can give you kind of a lot of trouble sometimes. Yeah, but, man. Uh, even blue, some that. blue belts are, like, really good. Um, yeah. Anyhow, um, I'm, I'm seeking out these people that I know that I can kind of take an easier time with. I can really work the technique I've been practicing or there's a new move I'm trying to drill and then I want to use it with them and then move up. But um, I'm, I feel like I have a hard time figuring out out like that balance like so it's like okay this is fun and i'm being playful and i'm trying to get the technique down and i'm trying to to get my body to move where i'm not exhausted by the end of it but then uh 
I get exhausted by the end of it for some reason uh, without meaning to. And then this other session, maybe I was trying to work a little harder, but that didn't happen. I, I guess the question I'm trying to get at is like, how do you actually balance it? Like, how do, what does this actually look like um, as it happens? Because I feel like, or, or just randomly a friend is like, Hey man, like let's work out together. And then you do a workout together and it was way harder than you wanted it to, or it was way easier than you, you planned it to be. And I'm, I've yeah. been trying to do a little bit more where I, where I balance out the types of workouts that I'm doing. So it's all over yes. the place, but. So I think maybe to help with that question, we have to think about the situation because it kind of all depends. If you sure. are talking about jujitsu, you're training with another human being. So it's hard to actually regulate the pace that you're going to be training right. at. You could think, oh, I'm going to grab this blue belt and it'll be chill. But yep. that blue belt could be strong and athletic and then it ain't so chill, right? Yeah. And yep. there's nothing wrong with uh, trying, like uh, feeling exhausted at the end of training, right? But it shouldn't feel like the competition every single time, I think, because that would be little too taxing on your body in an ideal world right some academies it's unavoidable but right. you know, like if you could 80 20 your roles that would be great like 80 percent of the time you're rolling with people where you're mostly working technique and you're able to really control the pace and then 20 percent of the time you're going with other brown belts and black belts or crazy purple belts and you're fighting like a competition almost you know because you're yeah. gonna let it escalate to that level like a, a lot of the students that i train with i can keep breathing through my nose for the whole round right mm. that's a sure. self-regulator yeah. right? did frasa have even say that one too i feel like yeah. a lot of shit in the uh, joe rogan podcast did. at least but maybe yeah. not like if you could train with a white belt or blue belt without opening your mouth just breathing through your nose you essentially yeah. blow your anaerobic threshold so that's chill mode right there yeah, so try to keep your mouth shut while you're training with some of the lower belts that will automatically keep you from going too hard or else you're gonna have to do mixed breathing right right uh, right so you can kind of auto-regulate like that. Like if you're running and you're going to go on a run with a friend, make sure you can keep the conversation the whole time or that you're breathing through your nose again, right? Um, right. If you're going to do some explosive work, just take tons of rest in between because that's how a sprinter trains anyways. You think Usain Bolt does like a thousand box jumps in a row? No. He'll do like one hard sprint and then he'll rest a bunch until his – capacity is back up to almost like his first hard sprint so he can give it another good go because he's trying to train his he's trying to get faster not train what he's already able to do or you know go at a slower pace for his next run he's trying right. to hit like max velocity or maximum acceleration and then practice maintaining that speed and anything less than that is training something else but he's got to train that all out right and you, you can't quite bring all out if you don't rest enough in between and then that, like, imagine if, he's, if his muscles are still burning, his next fucking sprint is not going to be very good, right? Right. So right, right, why right. not wait till the acid's cleared? The thing is, acid takes forever to clear, so <laughs> to clear it all. But you can clear most of it in not too much time. And then Pavel shows us a bunch of different protocols and such like that, too. But for most of your training, if you're not someone that needs to experience that you should try to avoid building it up too much you let it build up a little bit and then it clears kind of quick um, i see i see but like i go you go with a couple of people is a great way to already give yourself some rest right right and most right, of the right. time people are going in the gym that way so then it becomes a question of like okay when i go and you go what are we doing exactly if it's 
I go a hundred burpees, you go a hundred burpees or whatever. Like that's too brutal. That would be probably not, again, it depends on your goals. So if you're trying to get stronger, more rest is going to be your friend, working heavier, working lower reps, something like two to five reps, save a hard single for every once in a while only. You want to feel like you're um, PRing without maxing. They say in the like, and talking easy things and stuff. We talk about like when you're working with your athletes, you don't want to feel like they're going all out to get that new highest number they've never I've never picked up that weight before. Like, great. Don't need to show right. me everything you got in the tank. If you constantly test strength, then you're not really building it anymore, right? And I think uh, that's maybe one of the tangents I lost earlier about peaking and such like that. And talking about how we train people a little differently here because we want to teach people that you want to be more consistent than intense and intensity should go up and down because that's how you're going to benefit the most. So some days you do have hard, longer sessions maybe, or maybe more volume or you work a little heavier and other days you work a little lighter to match that strength is built perfectly or like in an ideal world, the, best range to stay in would be like 70 to 85 percent of your one rep max that's the strength building realm right below that good for hypertrophy but like muscle building but not that great mm-hmm. for building more strength it does help a little bit but um it's especially more important if you're trying to build some muscles to work a little lighter and do longer sets right but if you're trying to get stronger doing shorter sets and staying between 70 and 85% of your max, but above that is start to start to tax your nervous system a whole lot too, right? It's like neurologically taxing. It takes a lot out of you to do a one rep max. If it's a true one, like that shaky deadlift that you finish the top, you like toasted after that. Right. And probably the rest of that day and the next day you're all sore and whatever. Um, so those we want to save for every rarely once in a while type of thing i see i see so then um chilling kind of okay that makes sense sense. 70% percent is not easy but it's not right right right. something you could probably do like 10 times but you're gonna do like six reps maybe or something maybe more like eight times for 70 percent. i don't know depends on the person the lift actually (laughs) right (laughs) fair enough so so then um one of the questions that kind of comes to mind as well is um because I guess the motivation for this podcast and just in general, uh, although I'm, I'm get maybe I'm getting greedy because I'm just asking questions. No, that I'm that's the only way I find uh, <laughs> just trying no. to help answer questions. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but one of the things that um, that comes to mind a lot is I feel like people are always asking me for fitness advice in some way or another. And I just flat out don't really know the answer to anything that they're asking. And it's because I'm, I've, my, any of my it's just fitness you're all yoked like, and shit? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't even know what the answer, like, I don't know how to even answer that. I don't, it's just that I happen to have really liked boxing when I was uh, in high school. And then I picked up jujitsu when I was 18 and I'm 29 now and I just kept it up. And, um, I guess I wonder like, what, what do you, what are your thoughts or what would you say to people who are just trying to get into some sort of shape? Like they're trying to move from maybe a more sedentary lifestyle onto, uh, 
onto a more active lifestyle or even just like just trying to create that vision for what that could look like because I feel like just talking to people it sounds like their biggest struggle is not really even knowing what that looks like having no guiding light to just like push them through yeah Uh, yeah so what what are your thoughts on that or what what would you usually recommend to people in that situation well it depends you know if they were nearby me, I'd be like, come on in. I'll show you how much this could not suck. If you learn how to strength train, like things, think about what I described to you. Avoid the burn, take yeah. lots of rest, lift heavy shit and do small or uh, short sets, right? That doesn't right. sound so bad in the gym. If you think about it, you do like right. three to five reps on a heavyish deadlift and then you rest like five minutes and then you do it again or you do it for a press or a pull. Like at uh, basic level some people don't realize that it doesn't have to be that tough to start getting moving I mean of course I, what I'm saying is I think some people kind of psych themselves out of course it's tough sure. to get off the couch or get moving when you haven't been doing it for a while like the hardest thing is to start so right. if people could be like you and find something that they like then their issues are all going to be solved because a lot of times that motivates them to move like people who are really into racquetball <laughs> like right. they want to be able to do that better so then they start to think like man well i can't not everyone is around all the time to play more rounds of racquetball i should just lift a, or something so that i feel stronger when i go in there again against homie that i did racquetball with last week i don't know racquetball but i want to say fight in sure. a racquetball situation but i'm teased yeah. <laughs> the the point yeah. though is like if you find something that you like then it becomes much easier to maintain a habit but it's all about building a habit. So you gotta sometimes like ask for help at the end of the day, go get a coach or something. If you can't do it on your own, sure. it's about trying to find something that you could stick to. And if it's brutal, it's going to be hard to stick to. So jumping in on a boot camp or something, like I don't think that's okay. the best way for people to start, but sometimes people just need to be told exactly what to do just to get going. This is another, it depends kind of a question, like everything else. But um, the first best thing would be to find something you like. The next best thing and in conjunction would probably just be to find a good coach, like going to the Strong First website, list people nearby you who are Strong First certified. And they are instructors who should know everything that they teach so that you can learn how to safely start getting stronger. And when you start getting stronger, everything in life gets a little easier. And right, right, right. It's, and are you, is, and is the Strong First um, like program, is it kind of a, gu- is it uh, kind of like a guideline? Is it a, because uh, um, I, I assume, this is, this is just based on assumption, but I would assume that it's like, it offers some sort of guideline and you get certified in some way, but you also, there will also just be coaches that specifically speak to you in some way. Like I'm sure there's a, there's um, there might be a coach who's suitable for one person versus the other. Like in some way, is that, do you think that's the case or how how exactly does that work? Like uh, that a specific coach, for example, like maybe you're saying for your friend, strong first might not be the best for them. Or are you saying, for well, strong first within the organization, we have coaches above us and we can talk to different people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like how, how would you find the right strong first coach for you? Cause I, okay. I, my impression is that I honestly would kind of recommend it to anybody just based on my, my experience with it. But 
um, how do how would somebody even figure out which coach they should be going along with? It, again, depends on the goals, right? So let's say someone wants to learn kettlebells. I would say 100% go to Strong First. If okay. you want to learn how to Olympic lift, you shouldn't go to Strong First because Got they're it. not going to teach you how to do Olympic lifts with a barbell. You could right. find a, a certified kettlebell instructor. You could find a, a certified barbell instructor. You can find a certified bodyweight instructor. So like us three coaches here, they call us elite coaches because <laughs> we have all of the certifications. We have the level one, the level two for the kettlebell. We have the barbell. We have the bodyweight. So we have proven that we can do all those things and that we can teach it well. And so they gave us the instructor certification. So someone who's looking to get better at any of those things or use those modalities, a lot of people that we see, they are coming in here just to learn kettlebells because they, they live too far away to join to do the regular group training, but they are gonna buy some kettlebells for at home. And a kettlebell oh, okay. is a great like all-in-one sort of tool. So it's great for home gyms because it doesn't take a lot of room and you can do so much stuff with a kettlebell. But some okay. people come in and they're like, I got barbells at home. Can you teach me how to do it? And so we will. Uh, it depends on what you want to be doing, how to find a good coach. If you're looking specifically at Strong First because you're like, hey, I heard great things, then I don't care what I'm using. I just want to get strong. There's tons of people like that who are just like, kettlebell, barbell, whatever. I don't care. I don't know anything. So just tell me what to do in order to yeah. lose weight yeah. or get strong or whatever. So I, I think that strong first is a super good place to start because the certifications are really focused on teaching people how to lift in a way that will be sustainable for the rest of your life. So even the way yeah. we teach programming is meant to teach people that more is not better quality over quantity type thing, you know, or it's not right, necessarily right, right. if you have all quality, then more is better, right? right, 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 more, right, right. more good quality work, but if you can't recover enough from it or your form is starting to break, we, we have descriptions of stop signs and stuff that they've added to the manuals. But uh, every instructor leaves with a manual of like how to do this outside of there. And they've been coached all weekend on how to use the, the manual and how to start working with people that way if they want. Because the point okay. of a certification would be to make sure these people are ready to go coach people if they want. Uh, that would be the instructor certifications, right? So, is everything you do right now is it really based on the Strong First program? Like, is that is there any way that your what you offer uh, is different from what like Melissa offers versus like is well, there um, or do you have different vari variations of or like different interpretations of certain things or how 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 much does that change? Well, in some small ways, we do different things. Like in terms of Strong First stuff like strength training we do very similar things because we have very similar backgrounds in that but i have my preferences for what i want to work with uh, people on and she has her preferences maybe or maybe i have to teach someone to swing and i have a way that i like to teach like i was teaching you to swing and she gave you all these different drills she might have given you a whole different set of drills to accomplish sure. the same goal right I see. I see. and at the end of the day uh, in that nice manual that you get from the certification that can teach you like okay this is the issue you're seeing this person is not their their plank is off in their finish on the swing it'll show you a drill or a couple of drills that says this will address that and then you can apply them right. to your students but we have even a bunch of our own drills that we have kind of made up or gotten from other people that's not in the strong first manual but when it comes to teaching kettlebells or barbells or body weight we pretty much follow strong first 
when it comes to mobility training, we follow the functional range conditioning stuff. Strong First has some great mobility stuff in there, and they are partners with some other people too. But like we find oh. that the stuff that you learn in Strong First for mobility doesn't do enough for our students. And so that's why we teach them all the FRC in the cars. That stuff is really based on all the great knowledge that we oh, built so, up. So, it's amazing though, man. All the yeah. stuff I showed oh, you, oh. I was looking at yeah. Pavel's old books and he talks about cars and all this type of stuff in a different way, but the same shit. And it was just like, I don't know, I, so wow. that, like a book in the nineties or whatever that he was writing. Or, or I gotta crap. find some of them, but I'm like, this shit's been out. The Russians have known all this stuff forever. It's like <laughs> ridiculous. Only coming over here but now. Because it's still not really as popular. The Russian government owns all the training logs and manuals for all the athletes. So they have right, all right, the right. data. So they've been doing research on athletes and all this stuff for so long. It's amazing. Wow. Wow. So, so that, that's actually something I didn't really know. So is, is the stuff that we did, was that more funk? What was it called? Functional, functional range conditioning. I taught you some kettlebells. Oh, so is that a different and program? And I taught you yeah. uh, all the mobility stuff I taught you is not from Sean first. That's from functional oh, range wow, conditioning. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, mm -hmm. interesting. So how so is that up FRC that, if you want? Uh, FRC. I'll yeah. just write that down. Functional range conditioning. Whoa. Okay, interesting. So that's blowing my mind. I was completely So at our gym we uh, combine the two things and you know, Sean first will say, Hey, go take it. a flexible steel course and stuff like that. And it teaches you how to like access more range. I haven't taken their course yet, but I've heard good things. Um, but through strong first, we learn strength training, uh, you know, conditioning and other programming and the courses that they hold, they have like Pavel's got a workshop called second wind on breathing. So we went there and learned about breathing mechanics or how to, uh, like essentially improve breathing for athletes and also muscle sure. relaxation and stuff. Cause the difference between the higher uh, or the difference between a regular person, here's a good one. Like. An athlete, a high-level athlete, can relax their muscles like 400 times faster than a regular person, like an Olympic-level oh, athlete. The, that's the difference at the highest level between the strongest people in the world or, or like the, the best wrestlers. The people that make it to the Olympics are the ones that aren't necessarily stronger than these guys. They are able to relax better than these guys. So that's what they're oh, finding wow. at the highest level is muscle relaxation is extremely important. And if you think about it, the stiff guy is not fast. But the right. really loose guy is fast but not strong. And if you have the balance, then you can be fast and strong. And so that's where, like, your jiu-jitsu clunkiness turns into smoothness eventually is you can balance the tension and relaxation, right? Like, you maybe practice mm -hmm. one technique over and over again. You're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And you're too stiff in some ways and too, too loose in other ways. But then you do it enough times and you know when to stiffen up and when to loosen up so you can move right. fast and use your strength and everything still. So that – when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, I can see how that would improve my performance is being able to have a well-tuned on and off switch for your muscles. That's why we teach, right, I kept right, telling right. you shake things out after you do swings or whatever, right? I would tell people to do fast and loose drills all the time. Oh, yeah, you would, you I would. would. Say, shake I, it out, shake I, it out. And everyone, right. and now I have to ask people, like, do you know what I mean? Because they're like, no, I just... Uh, I just copy what you're doing in that moment. So I'll like shake my legs for a second when I say shake it out and then they'll just yeah. shake their legs. And I'm like, I want you to do more because what we're looking for is a balance between tension and relaxation. So if you just did a drill that you ramped up your tension really hard, it really benefits you to 
shake those muscles out afterwards. It'll kind of reduce any congestion. Like, uh, I mean, if you're trying to get the pump, then you can't shake those muscles out. But the pump sure. is worthless. <laughs> so unless, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> if you want to build more muscle, then the pump. Okay, is, fair enough. Yeah, fair but, enough. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you you know you get some little micro trauma or whatever going on, you um, yeah. but the uh, general idea would be that you want to like shake out those muscles so that they recover more quickly and you're ready to use them again, right? right. Especially right, with strength right. training. And yeah. uh, in general, there's a ton of research on how acid in your muscles is just not that good for you. It produces more free radicals, which is going to like increase the aging of the cells and all this type of stuff that has these kind of negative repercussions so there's a cost to the acid and so another reason to shake it out is just to get the acid out if you are feeling the right. burn for example but mostly right. we want to balance tension and relaxation so we tell everyone hey shake it out after you do that hard plank then just shake out the muscles shake out your trunk mm -hmm. practice being able to turn it all off again because if you're half on then you're going to be slow and you're not going to perform well either you know if your muscles right, are somewhere right. in between right interesting um, yeah because I, I do remember you saying that but uh, but it actually is completely lost on me once I left. I think I, I uh, and a lot of times I've learned that I need to specifically tell people like, let's try shaking just your legs. Okay. Yeah. Now let's shake your arms. We call this bingo wings. Great. Yeah. <laughs> now let's shake your trunk. That feels good. Right. We call that the kilt shake because it's silly. Now right. do the legs and then the arms and the kilt shake and bounce around. And do you feel loose? And they're like, oh yeah, I feel really relaxed now. Like, great. Now we're ready to go again for another set because you don't want to stay half on between your sets. You're going to perform a little shittier and you're going to get used to being kind of half mm. on. Like maybe have you ever like tapped the table or a video game button as quickly as you can, then your oh, hand yeah. like stalls out or whatever. Yeah, like yeah, I can't yeah, keep yeah. the rhythm. I lost it and I got stuck. It's because yeah. like the on off switch got stuck halfway on and then you, you falter in your movement or whatever. Right. And wow. you can train to be able to push that, but you have to like, reach that limit and then back away so you can maintain the rhythm. Let's say, I mean, if you had a tapping contest, a better example would be maybe throwing punches or running or whatever, sure. like being able to do successive kicks or something like yeah. there's going to be a point where you're trying to push the pace too quickly and then you mess up and then you back away. Well, we learned the whole weekend of that kind of stuff of how to practice muscle relaxation. That was a whole course from Pavel. And that's like really applicable for high level athletes or for people, um, who just want to maybe like uh, know how to breathe while they're running or something to improve that or whatever. There's like tons of research on how athletes should be breathing. There's a great book called the oxygen advantage that talks about overbreathing in general and talks about um, people maybe who have like exercise induced asthma and how to address that through practicing better breathing. Cause a lot of times people are overbreathing and they need to learn how to breathe through their nose more hmm. or only. I was definitely a mouth breather for a little while after I broke my nose and then it was really affecting my jiu-jitsu and then I learned how to work on my breathing and my jiu-jitsu got way way more comfortable. I don't know oh, if the technique yeah. got better, but sure. I stopped feeling yeah. breathless in training again because I was able to control my breathing and kind of fix how I was breathing outside of training also. So that's second win. Pavel also teaches something called strong endurance. I told you all about that. He teaches something yeah. called plan strong, which is like a, PhD in programming almost like a graduate course in programming and yeah. uh, like for strength. So what all the Russians did to set these world records or set these Olympic records that have not really been beaten since then, like pound for pound strength records that were set in like the seventies from the Russians have 
not been beat. And yes, Holy they crap. use some PEDs and stuff, but everyone is using PEDs sure. at the time. So it's still pretty valid that they were using this uh, method of training that Pavel has uh, turned into something a little bit tough to grasp, but works great once you get it down. Um, right. And then he calls it plant strong. And it's essentially the way the Russians were training when they were like on top of the world in terms of uh, wow. strength right. sports in the Olympics, especially. And then they reshuffled all the weight divisions. So now those records were lost. And that's right. why those aren't the standing records in the Olympics is because they changed all the weight divisions. And so they kind of reset the, the board. I see. I see. Um, but that's what Pavel teaches right now. And so mostly teach those courses. And then Strong first teaches a bunch of certifications, uh, like for the different modalities for how to strength train. And then we get our mobility stuff. Like we use a little bit of Strong first mobility stuff, but it's all very general stuff. The things that were, it's like you talked to me about your ankle. Strong yeah. first wouldn't have necessarily, well, in the bodyweight course, we do talk about foot health and stuff like that. So if you haven't taken the bodyweight course, you're kind of like, I got to send you to someone else for ankles, right? And sure. we didn't want, we weren't satisfied with that answer of like, just foam roll it and go talk to a PT. So then we went and took these functional range conditioning courses and learned essentially what science knows right now about how to make your joints healthier and stronger, which is kind of the answer to addressing a lot of like pain or restrictions that people are dealing with is just make their stuff work better. Like that's all I did with you was teach you how to maintain your joints, start yeah. building up the health again, because yeah. you had really depleted the health in your ankle. You juiced that thing all the time and you didn't really take care of it beyond like icing it maybe or resting yeah. it a little bit. But then if you don't train the thing that's getting hurt, then you're not, you can't expect it to not get hurt again. Like you're going to slowly become less and less resilient in that joint. If you just let it kind of continue in decline. Right. And it and felt so, like it was getting worse as well. Yeah. But you didn't really know what to do for it aside from like rest and then go train some more. And jujitsu is always going to be brutal on, especially if you're getting attacked on that ankle sometimes. Yeah, or whatever, which right? would be the worst. Because it takes no time for you to be like, oh, I've been, my ankle's been feeling good. And then today, pop, oh no, yeah. it's, I'm especially, back to square one. Yeah, especially with like a straight ankle lock or something. Because I've always felt like, ah, it's not really a big deal anyway. Yeah. And somebody would grab my, that ankle specifically and it would just be back to square one. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, Man, I, uh, I'm kind of uh, got to run on time. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me. I hope we can do this again, actually, because I feel like I learned, well, yeah. I, I learned a lot. We could talk a little more, too, because I didn't realize that you uh, didn't exactly know what you were learning, at least where it comes from, you know. Uh, right. I, I right. taught you some Sean First stuff. I taught you some FRC stuff. But uh, a lot of that, the things that really blew your mind was all the FRC stuff talking yeah, about yeah, cars yeah. and talking about mobility and everything that I all got from or We all got that stuff from taking these courses. Like I've taken uh, three or four courses with that group, with that uh, company. I guess they call themselves functional range systems now or something, but uh, we could talk more about mobility and stuff next time if you want also. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd love to. That'd be great. And uh yeah. Um, and another thing I just wanted to do as well is if you could just uh, give out your either your Instagram handle or how people could contact you if they want to get oh, either privates or okay. online training or whatever you do. Well, my ramblings, I, I don't know if yeah. they were that impressive, but uh, <laughs> at, yeah, uh, I learned a lot. 
<laughs> follow, follow us at Oakland's Most Powerful on Instagram. That's all three coaches. And my Instagram is Coach Alexei. Really easy to remember. Somehow yeah. I snagged that one. Everyone's like, are you Russian? Yeah. And I'm like, no, but I have a Russian <laughs> name. So Coach Alexei sounds extra great. Russian um, name and happen to love Russian practice oh, as well. Russian kettlebell training is the shit. Or strength training. In the Russians just, they do it right, man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, crazy. And then... Uh, just go to our website, you know, ompgym.com or openmostpowerful.com or you know, either of those avenues. Like, send me a message wherever. I'll talk. To, I'll look at videos of your swings. I do all that shit all the time. Just whoever sends me questions, uh, I'll get around to it eventually. Yeah, so, I, I was literally free. sending him videos all the time, just like my swing. Yeah, like, I love technique, and he was yeah, he was sending me <laughs> feedback all the time. Oh, and without any, it was immediate too. So it was great. Yeah. I loved it. Send me more, dude. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, I will. I will. Get on those swings. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, that's it. Again, thanks. Thanks, Alexei. I really yeah. appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, we'll chat we'll chat soon as well. For sure. Talk to you later. Cool. Yeah. Later. Bye. Bye.